0: There's more care from a third-party perspective that is hands-on with my residents than actually CNAs and LPNs or RNs that I have employed. The challenge is knowing who they are.
1: You're listening to Bridge the Gap Season 5, a podcast dedicated to informing, educating, and influencing the future of housing and services for seniors. Powered by sponsors AccuShield, Connected Living, Inquire, One Day, LTC REIT, It's Never Too Late, Meridian Capital Group, Salinity, The Bridge Group Construction, and produced by Salinity Marketing.
2: Welcome to Bridge the Gap Podcast, the senior living podcast with Josh and Lucas. We got a great friend on today. We want to welcome Charles Mann. He is the founder, CEO at AccuShield. Welcome to the show.
0: Hey, thank you for having me.
2: You know what? When we get three... Texas guys on the same podcast, you know that it's going to go down and we're going to have a good time. And, uh, you know, Charles, I was reminiscing, uh, even a decade ago, watching you hustle and watching myself hustle, uh, at different state associations in Florida and Georgia and Texas, all over the place. And I remember meeting you and getting to know you you have such a deep history, even as a young man, in senior living. Your family owns care homes, and and as a business that you've been involved with. And I believe that that's part of the bridge that led you to developing the technology there at AccuShield. And before we really get into that, we're we're going to eventually wander into. Um, how technology and innovation is affecting senior living, and also the changes in the marketplace of senior care as it revolves around. I mean, look, is this healthcare? Is it hospitality? Is it, you know, what is this? It, uh, is senior living, you know, a part of that big hub and that piece? And then how does innovation and technology play into that? Talk to us first about your early memories of being involved in senior care with your family.
0: Yeah, I can remember. Gosh, I was probably eight or nine years old, and um, my grandfather had Alzheimer's. And at that point in time, you know, they really didn't know what to do with with individuals that had Alzheimer's. In most cases, uh, they would either go the psychiatric route. Um, or they would go to skilled nursing. And so um, my dad just hated the idea of, of having to put you know, his father in, in a skilled nursing facility, and he lived for 14 years with Alzheimer's. And so uh, he thought that there could be a better way um, to to age and to, to live the remaining part of his life um, in an environment that wasn't um, so clinical. And so uh, he began um, working to create a product um, that would allow for an individual to age in place with a, uh, with whether it was dementia or Alzheimer's, um, or or a a disease that um, affected the mind but not the body. And so um, he got this crazy idea to to build a what was called a personal care home. And uh, in that point in time. Um, he tried to build a building that was 50 rooms. And the nursing home lobby did not like that. The nursing home lobby um, felt that uh, what he was trying to do um, took from from their pool of of candidates uh, that could move into skilled nursing. and at that point in time, um, that private pay component was significant. And so, um, you know, my father tried to build a 50-bed uh, or 50-room community, and the nursing home lobby basically shut that down and only allowed him to build a building that was 25 rooms. And I can remember going to that zoning meeting, and uh, they had a number of people from Washington on a skilled nursing side uh, come down and, and want to understand exactly what he was, was trying to build, which at that point was very non-clinical, right? It was truly assisted living not what we think of assisted living today um but but very different and so um he built his first building and and it was opened in, in 1989 um, and it was right next to where he lived or right next to where we live so he'd go back and forth and at this point in time um it was it was it was a, an incredible luxury to live in an environment like that and so a few years later, he built another one that was at the bottom of the hill um, that had a few more uh, resident rooms. And you know, he didn't have a blueprint. I got a lot of respect for, for my late father um, trying to imagine building a community without having to look at someone else's and what they've done. Um, there are a few people around the country at that point in time that, that had sort of caught on to that same uh, product type. Um, and, and so he had some folks to talk to, but really there was no blueprint, right? There was, there was no one that he could talk to. And so, um, you know, he created it from scratch. And so those two buildings are still open today. Um, and, or at least one of them is, and then he built another one in, um, in coming Georgia, which is still an operation called the man house. One is called the man house. They're both called the man house, one in coming and then one in Sandy Springs. And so, um, growing up in that environment, that's where I spent my summers, <clears throat> taking care of residents, um, you know, uh, managing the landscaping, <laughs> uh, working in the kitchen, um, answering phones, really doing anything that I could um, to help out. And so um, post-college went to work uh, with Johnson & Johnson and then came back into the family business, uh, working working with my father. So um Pretty interesting as to where the industry is today but that's that's sort of my background and my history I, you know like to think i'm sort of coach's son you know um a lot of what i say i can just hear my dad you know uh, speaking um speaking in my ear so um the industry is very special to me it's come a long way and it's a beautiful thing
1: well what a cool story charles um i remember um early on in my career. Um, after you had joined um, back to your family business, yeah. um, connecting with you early on, and yeah. um, I, re- I, st- I can still remember when when your now current company uh, was was formed. And gosh, you know, I feel like um, the Texas guys here, as you mentioned. Lucas are about to start sounding really old because we're about to start telling stories about how we met, how the industry used to be and how much it's changed. I can feel that happening right now. Um, But, you know, um, it's fun. You know, you, you are the coach's son. That's now the coach. All right. And so leading teams, leading a technology charge and man, I'll tell you as an operator developer, Uh, My how our industry has changed and how technology infusion into the industry has changed. I can still remember, (laughs) here I go, when in the communities, these independent assisted and memory care communities, we had the receptionist up front Mm -hmm. and basically all she did uh, or he did was uh, literally have a three ring binder and had people signing in, signing out. Residents signing in, signing out, family members. And I remember how much time, even even then, when we didn't have all the requirements that we do today uh, for resident safety and the pandemic and things like that, that we've gone through that have forced us kind of to get up to speed with technology. But that's how things, we did it and that was normal. And and now there's so many um, better ways to do that. I would love to kind of uh, talk a little bit from your perspective, you are out. Your company has grown so much, and it's so fun to see that. But you are literally touching almost every type of aging population type of care and even beyond different community types, different facility types all across the country. I think you may even be in Canada now, if I'm not mistaken, uh, outside the the borders of our country. But what are some of the, the key Focal points that you're seeing that you think if the industry is not talking about, it should be really focusing on.
0: One of the things that continues to amaze me and and has really for the last 10 years is the amount of third-party care that frequents communities and facilities, really anywhere where there's health care. And I think as we continue to evolve. In the way that we operate buildings and the number of different individuals involved from an entity perspective, more and more operators are relying upon these third party care providers. As an example, home health, hospice, right? Self employed private caregivers to augment care, right? And to help with that operational challenge, which we all know is challenging. And so the thing that I felt was missing, I think that shocked a lot of people and shocks me today are just the amount of care that's provided by someone other than your staff, right? So as an example, I'm an operator of two buildings and there's more care from a third party perspective that is hands-on with my residents than actually CNAs and LPNs or RNs that I have employed And that's where the model has been going and it's growing over time um, is that that third party model. The challenge is knowing who they are, right? Knowing what, um, you know, discipline that they're providing, what healthcare are they providing? Are they there to change a wound? Are they there as a private caregiver on behalf of hospice, right? All of these different challenges. And so, you know, when creating your 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 care plan right taking into account that third party care that's coming in from the outside and many people forget that it's easy as an operator say oh well i know what my staff members are doing but what about everybody else's right do they have the same credentials and credentialing that my employees have because guess what as an operator i am liable for those individuals that are providing care because it's it's on my property And so to know that information is very useful and and is something that is, I think, shocks a lot of the customers that we work with when they see that dashboard of not just their employees, but how about everybody else's? right? How about the other 40 labor codes that have come in that month? And oh, by the way, hospice sent 10 people to care for that resident over the course of a week. So that's one of the things I think that has been really interesting. Um, From a technology perspective, sort of bridging that gap, no pun intended, um, over from senior living operations to technology.
1: Well, that's that's such an interesting way that you put that. And you're right. I mean, as long as I've been in the industry, I've considered our communities to be, in a large part, care coordination centers, right? Because there's only so much most communities are licensed to do. Mm -hmm. But actually, because of aging in place legislation... And a lot of the changes in the healthcare system, the acuity has been pushed downstream. And so now, right, yeah, we're hospitality meets healthcare, but we're not licensed in most right. places to actually do healthcare. Yep. So coordinating all of this healthcare in, Lucas, uh, not to mention your crazy teams that are coming into these communities, right? Like, <laughs> uh, you've like, right. got... Uh, so Lucas gets to see um, this firsthand because he's going in and out of these communities. So not only the care teams, yeah. but you've got guests, visitors, contractors of every kind. And it's funny, um, too. I think this validates a lot of what you're saying, um, Charles. Um, so many now of these where we're going in and helping even some um, very sophisticated developers that are getting into senior living. Yeah they always underestimate the parking requirement needs. And it's because they think, oh, well, these seniors don't even have cars anymore. They're not driving. And you've got this number of staff. We've got ample parking lot. I'm like, no, 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 no. (laughs) Because on any given day, we've got double the cars here because of all the care we're coordinating in. So that puts us as providers, as you very well know, in a position where Hey, we're not providing all the rec- all the care, but we're still responsible for that resident, right. no matter who's providing the care. Right. And so I love that um, what you're doing uh, has just really uh, taken technology from an operator's perspective. And, uh, and, and actually providing a solution for operators. Lucas, I know you've been in in touch with this and you come in contact with so many different types of communities. What do you think about this?
2: Well, and I think that this is the perfect example. It's, it's a, it's kind of like the perfect and yet beautiful friction point. This, the front door of this cruise ship on land (laughs) is, uh, it's hotel. It's, it's, it's healthcare. It's a restaurant. It's, it's a home and that front door it's in and out people in and out all day long. And that's a major friction point. It's the tip of the spear that Mm -hmm. opens up for the rest of that community. Is that years and years ago is, was it that friction that you saw that you were like, there's gotta be a solution for this is, was that the part of this?
0: It was, um, you know, I like to tell a story, and and it, it sort of caps off exactly your point of of knowing who's in the building. I can remember my father was called by the director, um, and that was a term that was that he coined. I feel like um, he was the director; he was the principal of the school. Um, it was an individual that was running. My father's assisted living personal care—it was called personal care at the time—called and said we have an issue with a resident. We have, you know, there was something that was stolen, and you know, my father was, you know, very upset about it. And said, "Well, you know, who was responsible? You know, which which employee was responsible? Do we know?" And and the director said, "You know, uh, Charles was not an employee." It, it was a third-party care provider. We think because that was the only person that was was in that room, and so you know, I we walk down to the community and we pull up this paper sign-in book, and no one had used it, right? And nobody had filled it out for a couple of days, so we lost that opportunity to to create a barrier of entry and to create really something that's that that, that adds safety to a building, right? senior living in many cases is no different from a vulnerability perspective than than maybe a daycare, right? With children, with young children, because if you've got a, a community that has a high acuity level and they've got a number of, of residents with with um, Alzheimer's, they're not going to remember who came in the room, right? They're not going to remember who came to see them, right? And so that's our job, you know, as operators to, to help there. And so you know, you wouldn't be able to, if you've been in a, an elementary school, you can't just walk into an elementary school and go wandering around, right? I still think in some senior living there, that that might be, you might be able to do that, right? So it's treated a little different. And so, you know, that was one story that to me at a young age, uh, you know, I felt I wanted to change, right? I wanted to add that layer of security, um, one of the many components to security, um, you know to help operators, but but ultimately keep residents and staff safer um, to know who's in the building because there's a lot that goes on in senior living. You know, as we all know. So um, that was a story that sort of outlines kind of the thing that stuck out to me. Right, is what's that mission and, and give me a real world example, and that's a real world example to me. And I think others have probably dealt with that in the past.
1: Well, you know, I think um, I still believe this, and this is. One thing that I think probably hasn't changed over at least my short tenure uh, as a senior living provider is I still tell people, you know, the adult son or daughter or whoever is making the decision for their loved ones to to place them under your care and supervision into this home, which is, quite honestly, for most people, it's probably one of the biggest decisions that they probably didn't want to be in a position to have right. to make. And it's very emotional. But they're not really going to care that person that's coming into the community, uh, what the who the management company is. They're not really going to care about a lot of the things that we tout. But they are going to 100% want to believe that they can trust that person That they're talking with that is going to take care and know what care and know who is providing care to their loved one. And when something isn't as it should be, they want to know and be able to get answers. So, what I love about this and what you're doing is it gives um, those that have been entrusted with the highest level of trust at the local community an opportunity to have a tool and to have a resource to get answers and to have a layer of security um, for our most precious assets. And so uh, kudos to you for leading the charge. It's so fun to see your team. I think you've at least doubled in size over the last few years. That's super exciting growth.
0: It's been really fun. Um, You know, I think two years ago we were hovering around 45 employees and now we're up to to close to 90. And, um, you know, took that number from about 2,500 kiosks to, you know, we're approaching over 6,000, um, our communities, sorry, 6,000 communities using Shield. So, um, you know, and it, it's, a, it's sort of a partnership, right? Because in many cases, communities share caregivers, right? And so if we can help there and, and create that continuity of care and share that information, it's, it's important. Um, and so, um, yeah, it's, it's been a wild ride. And, you know, I think that the pandemic, really just shed light on the importance of no use in the building, right? And then adding that healthcare component, um, you know, I think it goes, it goes far beyond COVID. I think as an operator, I would have always have loved to know if someone was sick, you know, whether it's a cold or flu, like just don't come in the building, right? If you're sneezing and you're coughing or, um, you know, it, it, to create that awareness is important. And so that's a silver lining, you know, I think with with the whole COVID thing, if you can look, you know, at the, well, what are the things that may be kind of good, which is very few and far between. But the one thing I think is that it did create a mindset of, to further um, advance uh, infection prevention and control.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, Lucas and I have talked about this. I've talked about this with some other folks. Um, You, I think, had such amazing, you were in a position Mm -hmm. with a solution long before pandemic ever arrived. Mm -hmm. And the communities that were already forward-thinking enough for all the right reasons to have you as a partner in problem-solving in this technology space for understanding who's in the building, who's in the community, were way better positioned than a lot of the communities that were not that forward thinking. We've seen this happen in a lot of areas. I mean, even in marketing, you know, and, but you were in a great position and, and honestly, thankfully, you know, I just think what would we have done (laughs) in many communities if we would have not had you guys in the position you were in with technology already capable to meet the demands that the pandemic brought to us where we were forced it was not i want to then we had to start doing these kind of things so thanks for your um your leadership and forward thinking you've been uh as as we've talked you've been out there uh hustling and designing solutions for operators for many many years um way forward thinking so it's fun to have you on the show and actually for our listeners lucas we're going to have a party soon Uh, It's right around the corner, and and Charles's team is helping us throw a, a massive party for senior living thought leaders.
2: We are, and also, too, in addition to that, we just want to thank AccuShield and Charles for being Bridge the Gap supporters. We put a lot of work. There's a whole entire team behind the scenes here. And without people like Charles and AccuShield, Bridge the Gap could not produce the excellent content that we do to help educate, inform, and influence people. So big thank you to AccuShield for being a BTG uh, partner with us. And we're going to be throwing a spring party, March 23rd at Gillies, Dallas. We're going to have live music. We're going to have an appearance from the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders, the iconic American uh, football team <laughs> and iconic uh, you know, uh, cheerleaders that everyone knows about. What a cool event. And we want to personally... Thank Charles for helping us promote that and helping us pull that off and also personally invite all of our listeners to come out March 23rd and come join us at this awesome event.
1: Yeah, it's going to be super exciting. Um, obviously, we're going to drop all the information uh, you can find out. If you don't know and you haven't connected with AcuShield with Charles, obviously in our show notes You can connect with them there. Also, you can connect on btgvoice.com for the show, all the information, including the big senior living party for thought leaders and influencers in Dallas, Texas, just around the corner. Make sure you RSVP for that. Space is limited. So get on that RSVP list.
2: Charles, thank you so much for your time today. It was great to see you. Looking forward to seeing you back in Dallas on March 23rd, but thanks for your time today.
0: Hey, thanks for having me. It was fun. So see you in Dallas.
2: See you there. And thanks to all of our listeners for listening to another great episode of Bridge the Gap.
1: Thanks for listening to Bridge the Gap podcast with Josh and Lucas. Connect with the BTG Network team and use your voice to influence the industry by connecting with us at btgvoice.com.